So I want to propose something to you tonight, and this is, this is it. An encounter with the Holy Spirit can change your life forever. I believe that one significant encounter with the Spirit of God can set your life on a completely different trajectory. <clears throat> For me, that's my story. When I was in high school, I was a lukewarm Christian. Have you heard that phrase, lukewarm Christian? You know, you kind of like, you know, you believe in Jesus, you pray a prayer or two, but you're not really living like a follower of Christ. So for me, that was me. I drank and I partied on the weekends. I looked at pornography a lot. I did things with girls that I shouldn't have. I, or, but then at the same time, I would uh, go to church on Sundays. I even played in the worship team. I would, uh, I would raise my hands in worship and uh, pretend that I had everything going all right. So it was this, this battle inside of me between trying to live like the world and trying to live like Christ. And then just before I came to college here at UNI, Jesus really revealed himself to me in a special way. I, I think of that song, How He Loves. That song had just come out around that time. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit, or Jesus, really showed me that he loved me despite all the sin I had in my life. And that changed me. Uh, the, the love of God changes us forever when we really understand it. Because I think we like, know in our heads that God loves us, but it doesn't really get down deep. Uh, for a while, for some of us, it takes some time to really grasp his love. And, and that's what happened for me just before I came to college. I just truly grasped his love, and it changed me. But the problem was I had grasped his love, I had felt forgiven, but I still struggled to get free of my sin. You know, I stopped partying and drinking and those things, but I still struggled with girls. I struggled with pornography still. I struggled to share my faith. I was a very timid Christian. So there's this tension inside of me where I really loved God. I'd encountered him, but at the same time, I couldn't really live like him, and I couldn't tell others about him. It's this tension. I would go to Chi Alpha, I'd play drums on the worship team, and I would, you know, raise my hands in worship, and then in class, I would be really timid and never share my faith with anybody. But then uh, my Chi Alpha pastor took me to fall retreat, and they talked about this experience called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I had never heard of it. I knew what tongues was. We'll talk about speaking in tongues tonight a little bit. I'd heard of tongues because I had grown up in a church for a couple years. My parents went to a church that the people just loved speaking in tongues. Maybe you've been in a church like that, like the worship leaders yelling out in tongues in the mic. Uh, people love screaming out in tongues. And for me, I had no idea what was going on. It was very confusing. And the only thing I knew was that there's scripture in 1 Corinthians that says you shouldn't speak in tongues without an interpreter. So for me, I just thought it was something that uh, was unbiblical, or if you're supposed to do it, just supposed to be like you know, special occasions when... People can interpret it. So on the Friday night of fall retreat, before they had introduced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm sitting around the bonfire uh, with some other people, arguing with them and saying that, uh, they're saying we shouldn't speak in tongues. Uh, okay, so the next day, I go to the service in the morning, and, and, and the speaker unpacks the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues in the best way I have ever seen it, like even since then. It was just an incredible way that he unpacked it, and I'll follow his example tonight in the way that I unpack it. But I saw it in scripture. I saw that this is something that God really wants for his church, that God wants to baptize us in the Holy Spirit, and he wants to give us a prayer language called speaking in tongues. And for the first time, I saw it in scripture. I saw it taught to me in a way that actually made sense. I came up to the altar to receive the baptism. A fellow Chi Alpha friend just laid his hand on my back prayed very softly, nothing crazy, didn't scream at me, didn't breathe heavy on me, just prayed softly. I felt the presence of God come over me, and I began to speak in other tongues. And it changed my life. 
It completely transformed me. I felt like I had encountered God for the first time. I laid on the ground and, and, and prayed in tongues all through lunch. I went to a concert that night. It was a secular concert at a bar in Des Moines. I prayed in tongues throughout the whole concert. I couldn't stop speaking in tongues. It was incredible. And, and not only that, it's not just about speaking in tongues, but I became bold in my faith. All of a sudden, I did not care what people thought about me. I just didn't care anymore. I became bold. I uh, got set free from pornography. I started to read my Bible every day. I started to pray every day. And I began to believe that God wanted to reach this campus. I began to believe that. I began to pray for that. I'd do prayer walks. And at the time, I was only a student. And I'm like, I don't know how to actually change this campus as a freshman. I was like, God, I know you want to change this campus, but I don't know what to do. So I would just pray in tongues and, and, and walk around campus. And then God called me to transfer away from you and I. So after my sophomore year, I transferred. I came back about two years after that to be the campus pastor here. And I'm still believing those dreams that God gave me as a freshman. When I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I knew that if only people could catch this, if, if people could catch the power of God, if they could encounter him in his fullness, and not just religion, that this campus would be flipped upside down. I'm still believing for it. I'm believing that God wants to gather a group of students who count the cost of reaching their campus, who put their selfish interests aside and say, God, I want all of you. I want everything you have for me, students that are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then they go and lead their friends to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that God wants to set this campus on fire with his love. I just believe that. I still believe that. I'm holding on to that. And God's doing some great things, but I believe that God has more for our community. I believe that God has more for our campus. And I believe that the way that God's dreams for our campus are going to come to pass is if we as in Christians on our campus, stop quenching the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week. Quenching the Holy Spirit is when we don't let him do everything he wants to do in our lives because we fear it. We are scared about what he might do, so we kind of keep him at a distance. If students can get caught in the Holy Spirit and say, I want you to do whatever you want to do, and that doesn't just look like speaking in tongues. That looks like being radically devoted to Jesus. It looks like sharing your faith. It looks like sacrificing your time and your talent and your treasure. It looks like more than just speaking in tongues, but if people can catch the fullness of the Holy Spirit, if they can say, I'm not going to quench the Spirit, but I'm going to let him move in my life in whatever way he sees fit, then God is going to truly reach our campus. I believe that. And that's why we're talking about the Holy Spirit tonight and, and in these few weeks. And I know that many of us here can relate with my story as a freshman. I'm not stupid. I know that many of you are where I was as a freshman. When you are loving Jesus in your head, like, like you've encountered his love, that song, How He Loves, like it, it speaks to you. You love Jesus. You put your faith in him. But you really struggle to live like Christ. And you really struggle to actually share your faith with your friends. You struggle to really live out the Bible. You read the book of Acts, which is the story of the first Christians, and you say, that does not line up with the way I live my life at all. Those first Christians are way different than I am. And, it's, and there's a tension inside of you. There's a tension and I want to propose to you tonight that perhaps the reason that you're struggling to be all in for Jesus is because you haven't truly let the Holy Spirit fill you. And you haven't let, you know, this idea of baptism in the Holy Spirit, what it means is an immersion in the Holy Spirit. That's what it means, immersion. Baptizo is the Greek word for baptism, which means immersion. And you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You're a Christian, but you have, but you have not yet let the Holy Spirit immerse you. And take you under, so to speak. You think of water baptism, going under the water. You haven't let the Holy Spirit take you under the water of the Spirit. But I believe that tonight, that's going to change. I believe that this is a pivotal moment in our community. I preach this sermon three times. I preach it every year. But I believe that this year, something is going to happen. 
I believe that tonight God is going to baptize people in the Holy Spirit in this very service. I believe that people will get baptized in the Holy Spirit tomorrow in small groups and on Thursday. And I believe that God is going to set you on fire for his cause on this campus. And, you will, and you're no longer going to be concerned with the way you appear to your friends, but you're going to be concerned uh, with the fact that they're going to hell. And you're going to do whatever you can to stop them from going to hell. I believe that, that God is going to form an army that says, you're not going to hell on my watch. But I believe it starts with us being immersed in the Holy Spirit. So with that said, tonight we're going to do our second week of the Holy Spirit series. So last week we took some time to build a foundation. It's important that we don't just jump to stuff like the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts without explaining who the Holy Spirit is. Because the Holy Spirit is not some force to summon to give us great experiences. That's not what he's for. Instead, he's a person who loves you deeply and wants a friendship with you. So last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit's our helper, how he wants to come alongside and walk with us and teach us to follow Jesus and convict us of our sin and encourage us when we're down. The Holy Spirit wants to be our helper. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit resides in every single Christian. And one of the things we talked about as well was the fact, just as I said earlier, how the Holy Spirit, or how we can grieve the Holy Spirit, which is usually happens when we are rude to our friends, we gossip about them, we slander them, we hold bitterness, that grieves the Holy Spirit. And then we can also quench the Holy Spirit, like I said, where we don't let the Holy Spirit truly have his way in our lives. The church is definitely guilty of quenching the Spirit. I just want you to think about this. In the New Testament, the Spirit moved in power. People were being healed of diseases. Demonic spirits were cast out. People were raised from the dead. Are you seeing people be raised from the dead? No, you're not. No one's seen someone raised from the dead in this room. Probably. There might be one of you, but I doubt that you've seen someone raised from the dead. People were being baptized in the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at those tonight. And, and the church flowed in the prophetic. They would give messages to each other from God. It was incredible. The church was expanding. That's the way they were able to reach uh, the empire of Rome, why they experienced so much opposition. They were able to push the church forward because they relied on the power of the Spirit. But see, as the church grew and expanded over the years, it went from being an army of people who were sold out for God, and it became an institution became something that you do once a week. It became something that there's paid people who do ministry and the rest of the people just come to receive. And that's why if you, trace, if you trace out church history, you see that the spiritual gifts kind of began to cease. You see that people weren't being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's not because God didn't want to baptize people in the Holy Spirit, but it's because people weren't seeking the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They thought that all the ministry is supposed to be done by priests and pastors. But then in 1900, there's a group of people in Kansas, believe it or not, in Los Angeles around the same time. It's actually happening all over the globe, but those are two of the most important places for our conversation. And these people saw in the book of Acts that God baptized people in the Holy Spirit. So these people sought God. They said, we are, are not going to leave until we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they prayed night and day for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in other tongues. And a revival began to break out in Los Angeles, specifically called the Azusa Street Revival. And out of that, so they didn't just receive this experience, but out of that, there was missionaries who were sent all over the world because people said, if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I need to go to the ends of the earth to share the gospel. And what we've seen over the last hundred years is that the epicenter of the church has moved from North America and Europe to China, Asia, Africa, these other places where the church historically did not really exist. And you can trace that back partially. There's other types of Christians who are responsible for this as well, but you can trace that back to people who got baptized in the Holy Spirit and said, I'm going to the ends of the earth to share the gospel. That's what happens when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. So 
I share that to say that over the last 100 years, we haven't been quenching the Spirit as much as we were for, or for many years. But I still think, especially in America, we're quenching the Holy Spirit. If you go to any of these other places, if you go to Africa, different continents, you see the Spirit moving in greater power. You see people raised from the dead. And that's because they're just like, hey, whatever you want to do, Holy Spirit. But here we got to study it, and, and that's all good. We're going to do that tonight. But we have to make sure nothing happens that's too weird. But in these other places, people are open to the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to happen tonight. I want us to be open to the Spirit. So turn to uh, the book of Acts in chapter 2. So just as much as I say that we need to be open, I also believe that uh, we should do nothing that contradicts Scripture. Okay? Scripture is our basis. We don't do anything that's outside of Scripture. We don't uh, have authority over the Scripture. The Scripture has authority over over us. So one of the things for me when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit that actually led me to be baptized in the Spirit was I saw it in the Scriptures. I saw it plain as day, and once I saw it, I was like, I want that. So let's look at these different experiences. Well, before we do that, I, I want to share this verse. So in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John the Baptist prophesies about this. So something important to know is that up until people started being baptized in the Holy Spirit, there were prophecies that were uh, spoken by people saying, someday, people are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so last week we looked at Joel chapter 2 when Joel prophesies about that, but there's also one in Luke chapter 3, and John says this. He says, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, and he will baptize you not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay, with fire. What does that mean? It sounds pretty cool. That's what I thought when I read it the first time. What in the heck is fire baptism? Well, it's the spirit baptism, all right? And, and then t- 21 chapters later, in Luke chapter 24, just after Jesus is raised from the dead, he tells his disciples to wait, to not go tell anyone about him until they've received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And to think so many of us try to tell people about Jesus without the baptism in the Spirit, okay? He says this in verse 49, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay. That doesn't sound like something Jesus would typically say. Stay. Don't tell anyone yet. In the city until you're clothed with power from on high. All right? And then he talks about this again in Acts chapter 1. And we're almost getting to Acts chapter 2, so hold your horses. In verses 4 and 5 and 8, he says this. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to, but to wait for the promise of the Father, to which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what's going to happen? What happens when you receive power? Well, it says this, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the point is, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is mainly given so you can have power to reach your friends, to reach your city, to reach your state, and to reach the world. It's the implication is he says, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All right, so the disciples, they come together, and they pray for 10 days. They pray, God, send power from on high. All right, in Acts chapter 2, we see it happen. So let's read it here. This is our main text tonight. It says, it says when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So picture, we're here right now. There's wind coming in this room. You'd be freaking out, all right? Just be honest with yourself. And then it says this. It gets crazier. And divided tongues as a fire came and rested on each one of them. So we're talking about like a little flame over your head. Like I'm thinking like, you know, Hades from Hercules, right? A little flame on the head, all right? But then what happens 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. So then in verses 5 through 13, the author Luke, who wrote Acts, says that there are many people from other nations that were there and they saw this happen. And they're seeing the disciples, or they're hearing the disciples speak in their languages. So it'd be like if you got baptized in the Holy Spirit and you're speaking French, and your French friend sees you and like, what the heck? He's talking my language and he's praising God. All right, so that's what happened. And then in verse 14 through 18, or so they suggest that they're drunk, but Peter says this, and mind you that Peter was the one who had just denied Jesus three times, okay? But he stands up and he says this. He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, so nine o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk, it's early. You know, Hawkeye fans are like, that's not too early. Uh, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So this is that prophecy. Peter's saying, this is what Joel was talking about. And on your sons and daughters uh, shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants in those days I'll pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And then Peter goes on and he preaches the gospel. And we're going to look at a few verses later. But he preaches about how Jesus died on the cross. He preaches about the resurrection. And then 3,000 people put their faith in Christ that day. So the same Peter who denied Jesus because a little girl asked him, hey, do you know Jesus? That same Peter, that timid Peter, he is filled with the Holy Spirit, gets given boldness, stands up, preaches the gospel against or amongst hostile people or people and sees 3,000 people put their faith in Christ. That's the kind of stuff that happens when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. All right? So the main idea tonight is this. Jesus wants to baptize every believer in the Holy Spirit, so that we can be all that he's called us to be. Jesus wants to baptize every believer in the Holy Spirit so we can be all that he's called us to be. All right, let's pray over this. God, I pray tonight that this would not be lofty words of wisdom, but instead a demonstration of your spirit and of your power. God, I pray that our campus would be transformed by your love. I pray that they would know us by our love and that they would see the love that we have for them and for you because we're so full of the Holy Spirit. We're so full of you. So God, I pray for that tonight, and I just pray that you give us clarity as we read. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the powerful thing about this experience in Acts 2 is this is not the only time it happens. So if this is the only time the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened in the book of Acts, we'd probably say that that was just for that special time and place, all right? But what happens in the book of Acts is people continue to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's four other times that people get baptized in the Holy Spirit. So I want to go very quickly here through these experiences to sh- or to pull out some common threads of what happens when you're baptized in the Spirit. Okay, so the first one is in Acts chapter 8. And if you want to keep you know, flipping with me, you can, or it's going to be on the screen. But it's Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 19. And this is the Samaritans. They're getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the Jews had received the baptism of the Spirit, and now Samaritans are. It says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Get this guy. He says, hey, can I pay for this? Give me this power also so that anyone on whom I put my hands on could receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I want to make a couple observations about this passage, okay? This is an event that happened after salvation, okay? So uh, the Samaritans had received the word of God. 
They become Christians. They put their faith in Christ. And then Peter and John come and pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. So, so we know from other texts that when Christians put their faith in Christ, they get the Holy Spirit inside of them. But when the author Luke says receive the Holy Spirit, what he means is the baptism in the Spirit. That's the, that's the language he uses, okay? The second thing is it's given through the laying on of hands. So I just say that to say that something powerful to do if you're praying for someone to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is to lay your hand on them. There's nothing spooky about it. It's just a way to pray for someone. The third thing is something happened that caused Simon to see that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So some people think that if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's just kind of a warm feeling inside, and you feel really good, you feel like an encounter with God happened, and then you go on your way. But Simon saw something external happening. It could have been prophecy, but I think it's tongues, okay? So we'll look at why I think that as we read the other passages, but I think that Simon saw them speaking in tongues, and he said, I want that. I hear them speaking in these languages, okay? So I will come back to that later. But uh, the next instance is in Acts chapter 9, verse 17 and 18. And this is when the apostle Paul gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. So the apostle Paul writes a ton of books in the New Testament. He goes from being a Jew who killed Christians to a mighty man of God who planted the church in really hard places, okay? And this is when he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. It says, so Ananias departed entered the house, and laying his hands on Paul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight, because God had blinded him, okay, crazy, right, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and then he rose and was baptized. So we see that Paul is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now again, we don't know what happened as far as externally. We don't know if he spoke in tongues. Uh, we don't know if any of that happened. But we know from other texts that the Apostle Paul spoke in tongues. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18 says, and this is Paul writing, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Okay, so he was confident enough to say, I speak in tongues more than everybody else. It'd be like if I stood up here and said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Sounds really conceited, but Paul was so confident because he exercised it all the time. Okay, so I don't know if Paul spoke in tongues in Acts chapter 9, but I know that he was both baptized in the Holy Spirit and he spoke in tongues. Okay, so there's a connection there. All right. There's two more that I'm going to read, if you can hang with me. I think it's important, okay? I love Scripture, and I want to make sure you see it in Scripture, okay? Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. The Gentiles receive the baptism. So these are just people who aren't Jews at all, okay? And this is what happens. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So Peter, again, he's just a juggernaut now. And he's preaching the gospel again. And just imagine if I'm preaching the gospel here on a Tuesday night, and all of a sudden everyone starts speaking in tongues. That'd be crazy. It'd be awesome. It, it hasn't happened yet. But all right, so, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And how did they know that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles? It's important to see this in verse 46. It says, for, which just means because they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, which just is a fancy way to say praising God. Okay, so they said, these people have received the Holy Spirit, and we know that because they're speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they asked him to remain for some days. So some of you might get baptized in the Holy Spirit before you're baptized in water. Now, that's not the way it's supposed to go. You should get baptized in water right away. But sometimes you can just get baptized in the Holy Spirit right away when you're saved. You get saved, boom, you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so a couple of things about this. This happens five to seven years after Acts chapter 2. So this event is still happening 
uh, within seven years after the church started. So it's not something that was just supposed to be designated for kicking off the church or for starting it up. It's something that continues to happen. The second thing is it's accompanied by speaking in tongues and praising God. Now hold that in your back pocket. That's important. Okay, so Acts chapter 19, the last one, okay? So you're sitting in a class right now, it feels like, and I'm sorry. It's, not, it's 9 o'clock at night on election day, and you're sitting in here hearing some lecture. But anyways, let's keep going. And it happened that, that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and then he found some disciples, so followers of Jesus, right? And he said that, or to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now I'm just going to be honest. This is the way some of our churches are. Just being honest. I'm not throwing stones, but just saying sometimes we never talk about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit doesn't show up at all in our services. Okay, so they say, oh, we never even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. And he says, into what baptism were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism, which is water baptism for repentance. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized again in the name of Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. So picture someone getting baptized. Paul prays for them. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they began speaking in tongues again and prophesying. So this is over 20 years after Acts chapter 2, people are still being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And again, it's after salvation. And the last thing is it's accompanied by speaking in tongues and prophecy. Okay, that's all the instances in the Bible of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've shown you everything, okay? So I, through study and prayer, these are five things I've seen in these passages, okay? And this ain't going to take, or it's not like my normal points where it takes a long time for each point. I'm going to go quickly. But there's five things, okay, that I want you to get about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I want you to have a good understanding of it. And the first thing is this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience subsequent to salvation that is available to all believers. So something you notice in these passages is it's not like some people get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some people get to speak in tongues, and then the others don't. Instead, it just says he baptized the people in the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues. It's something that's available to all believers. And guess what? You don't have to have everything figured out before you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Like, nobody had figured out Christianity before they were baptized. Some people didn't even know what the Holy Spirit was, and they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And yet, some of you have sought the Holy Spirit. You've sought the baptism of the Holy Spirit so many times. I've seen you do it. And you're thinking in the back of your head, I have this sin. I'm inadequate. God could never baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Those are the thoughts you're thinking. But we see in the book of Acts that, that God is no respecter of if you're good enough or not. He just gives the gift. Okay? So it's available to all believers. And something else is it seems to happen after salvation. Now, the only passage out of the five that is kind of iffy there is actually chapter 10. It just says that Peter's preaching the gospel at some point, they put their faith in Christ. At some point, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. It, it could have happened at the same time. It could have happened within a split second of each other. I don't really care. Like, you can get saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit at the same time. But the point I want to make is that baptism in the Holy Spirit is something separate from salvation. So some people preach that, oh, baptism in the Holy Spirit is salvation. It's the same time. But that's not what it is. Like, we see that in the book of Acts. They're separate experiences. In four of the other passages, you see clearly that they're separate. The baptism in the Spirit is separate from salvation. Okay, so... I think the best example is Acts chapter 8 when they come and they say, oh, uh, they've only been baptized in the name of Jesus. And then they put their hands on them and pray and they receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, so a good way to visualize this is to pretend that this is a bottle of Coca-Cola Classic, which is my favorite. Okay, this is a water bottle. I'm not drinking Coke up here. I'd have a problem if that was the case. But, okay, so this is Coke. Let's pretend. There's Coke in this bottle. You shake it up. Yeah. And then you open it. And it fizzes all over, right? That's what would happen. Okay, this is just water, so we're good. I'm going to take a quick drink. Mm -hmm. 
Um, <laughs> so, okay, this is what happens. When you become a Christian, there's Coke that's put in the bottle, okay? The Holy Spirit is put inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit. He can convict you. He can help you. He can encourage you. All those things are available to you, okay? But then when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's like, oh, something got shaken up. All of a sudden, you're overflowing with the Holy Spirit. It's like that fizzing out. So John chapter 7 talks about this in verse 38 and 39. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And now this he said about the Spirit, about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified, which just means crucified and resurrected. So I don't want anyone in here who's a Christian to think, oh, I don't have the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is after you become a Christian, there's another experience available to you called the baptism of the Holy Spirit where it's an overflow. Out of your heart comes rivers of living water and God immerses more of your life. All right, the second point tonight is this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is given when you're hungry for more of Jesus. Okay, something where we get tripped up is we think, okay, there's a really fun new experience, kind of like we're going to go on a roller coaster. Like, I'm excited about this. It's going to be amazing. God's going to do something cool in my heart. I'm pumped. And we go up and we pray, or we pray in our shower, whatever, wherever we're praying. We're praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the only reason we want it is because we want some cool experience. I'm just going to tell you right now, if that's your motivation, he's not going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He won't. He's not here to give you thrills and, and fun times. What he's here for is when someone says, I am in, inadequate on my own but I'm hungry for more of Jesus. I need Jesus to overcome my life in a bigger way than he is now. I need the Holy Spirit. So then you come and you seek Jesus and you say, I want more of you. And then as you're seeking Jesus, he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. Because here's the thing, Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. It says in Luke chapter three that Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So if you're seeking the Holy Spirit, you're actually doing it wrong. You're supposed to seek Jesus and he will give you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Okay, so it's not about just uh, seeking some experience. Instead, it's about seeking more of God and seeking more of Jesus. There's been so many times I prayed with students at the altar for the baptism of the Holy Spirit at Fall Retreat and Winter Conference and things like that. And the ones that get baptized very quickly are the ones that come up and they just say things like, I want more of you, God. I want more of you. I want more of you. I need more of you. And it doesn't take long at all. It's like, boom, baptized in the Holy Spirit because they're just going after God. And sometimes, you know, some of you have done this. I've been walking with a lot of you for four years now. You come up and you're like thinking all the things. You're like, okay, what's that guy doing over there? Is it, okay, I'm feeling something. Is that really God or is that my own thoughts? You're overanalyzing everything. When all God wants you to do is go crazy for him and he'll fill you, okay? All right, so the third point. See, that was a really quick point. The third point, the baptism of the Holy Spirit empowers us for witness. So what is the point of the baptism of the Spirit? This is not just something for you to get so you can feel good about yourself. This is something that's going to help you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's something that's going to help you preach the gospel. So for me, when I was baptized in the Spirit, I think three specific things, no, four things happened, okay? So first, the first thing is I became unashamed in my faith. I no longer cared what people thought of me for my Christian faith. Second thing, I was way more consistent in my devotion to Jesus. I actually wanted to spend time with him. Third thing, I began to boldly proclaim the gospel. And the fourth thing is it broke me free of pornography. Okay, that's what happened in my life. But in Scripture, so if we're just looking at Scripture, the only thing we really see that's supposed to happen when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit is power for witness. That's what it's for. Jesus doesn't say it's for those other things, although I think those other things can happen. The main reason for the baptism of the Spirit is to receive power. That's what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So 
if you don't want it to go and reach people, if the reason that you want it is not so you can go and reach your friends, you might not receive it. Because Jesus wants to baptize people in the Holy Spirit who want to go tell their friends about him. All right? And they realize they're inadequate. And they're like, I need help. I need power. Okay? So like I said, in the early 1900s, when people began to seek this experience again, the thing they did is they went to the ends of the earth. Like they said, we have to tell people about it. And so many times today in our churches, and specifically in churches like Chi Alpha that believe in this, like we receive stuff like that and we're like, I just want to roll around in it and just hang out with the Holy Spirit all the time. I want to stay in a closet and just hang out with Jesus all the time. And that's great. We should do that. But you have to also go out. Like the reason you get the baptism in the Spirit is not to get warm, fuzzy feelings in your heart, but instead it's so you have power and authority to preach the gospel to all nations. Okay, that's the reason you want the baptism in the Spirit. All right, so spirit baptism is primarily for mission. It's about reaching our friends. Fourth thing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit does not make you a superior Christian to those who have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to let you in on a secret. Chi Alpha is the only Christian community on campus that preaches about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say something to you. That does not make us superior to anybody else. Some other people who have genuinely looked at the scriptures and tried to interpret to the best of their abilities have said, we don't believe that it's for today. And that's totally fine, okay? That's, that's their prerogative. You can look at Scripture and make your own conclusions. But I think it's important that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not sought after so you can feel superior to the other Christian that hasn't received it yet or the other Christian who just doesn't know any better. So this is what happens when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. So picture this. We got two people. We got Joe and John, okay? So Joe is super extroverted. He's very gifted at, at sharing his faith with people. He's very outgoing. He has the gift of evangelism, okay? And then you got Johnny over here, and he is very good at things like caring for people, administration, which is actually a spiritual gift. Holla. That's cool, right? Okay. And, uh, and some things like that, like mercy, generosity. He has other gifts. He's not really that gifted at sharing his faith, okay? So I think sometimes we can look at this and say, if Johnny gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, but Joey's not, then Johnny is going to be more gifted in evangelism. But that's not what I've seen happen, okay? Because Joey or Johnny, I forget who it is, this guy is better at sharing his faith already. God's gifted him with evangelism. Billy Graham is one of the greatest evangelists who's ever walked planet Earth, and he had never sought this experience. He grew up in a tradition that did not teach it. He never sought it. But he saw a ton of people come to know Christ. Okay, so it's important that you know that the baptism of the Spirit is not making, it's not about making you better than the next guy. Instead, it just makes you a better you. Okay, so this guy, I forget his name again, he just becomes better at sharing his faith. Okay, better than he was before, all right? A perfect example of this is the Apostle Peter. Before he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, he was zealous. He was pumped about God. He cut a dude's ear off. But at the same, it's a long story. But, the, but at the same time, when people confronted him about Jesus, when Jesus was about to be crucified, he denied Jesus three times. He was a coward. And he even had told Jesus hours before, I'll never deny you. It sounds like some of us, right? I'm never going to do that again. Three hours later, you're doing it again, Right? That was Peter. But then after the baptism of the Spirit, he received power. He began to preach the gospel, and he was the leader that God entrusted to build the church in those first years. Okay, so it's about making you a better you. So don't compare yourself. Don't compare yourself to other people. All right? Fifth thing. Wow, we're already on the fifth point. It's rapid fire. All right, baptism of the Holy Spirit is accompanied, and I think I've made this point throughout, but it's accompanied by the ability to speak in a supernatural prayer language referred to tongues and possibly other gifts. So it's not like you just get tongues. You could get prophecy. You could get other things. But I think every believer, this is my personal conviction, you should look at Scripture like we did tonight, 
But my personal conviction is that every believer who gets baptized in the Holy Spirit speaks in tongues. And that's been my experience as well. I've seen that people, it's confirmed in their hearts that they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit when they speak in tongues. I think God has chosen tongues to be the evidence for multiple reasons, but I think the biggest reason is in James chapter 3, it talks about taming the tongue. It says it's the hardest part of the body to tame, right? We say stupid things all the time. We're always saying stupid things. We're always tempted to gossip. We're always tempted to cuss or to do all these different things. And I think God says the best way to show that I've immersed someone in the Holy Spirit is to take control of that stinking tongue. I think that's why that's the evidence. That's my personal conviction. But uh, let's look very quickly here at those five experiences again. So, so we're not going to read them. I'm just going to show you what the common thread is for people, for how they knew they were baptized. All right, so put the slide up here. All right, so in Acts chapter 2, three things happen. There's a wind, tongues of fire, and they spoke in tongues. So in the book of Acts, at least, we don't see the wind or the tongues of fire happen again. It'd be cool if it happened, but it didn't. Okay, so Acts chapter 8, pull it up. So it doesn't say anything about the evidence. It doesn't say what they did. It just says they received it. But Simon saw that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit by an obvious outward sign. And you may ask, so why didn't Luke make it clear that, he, that they spoke in tongues if this is so important? And my suggestion to you is this. I think in the book of Acts, I think in the very first years of the church, people were being baptized in the Holy Spirit so much so, everybody was speaking in tongues that uh, the author Luke didn't see a point to put it down. That's my personal conviction. And the reason I believe that is if you look in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, which we're going to look at next week, so get excited. But in those chapters, the apostle Paul is trying to rein in the Corinthian church because they're speaking in tongues too much. So everybody's speaking in tongues. Like people would be like, like I'd be preaching, all right, and Tommy gets up and starts yelling in tongues. I got a message. And then Olivia gets up, you know, yelling in tongues. And then Zach gets up too, like, that's my girlfriend. I'm doing it too. He speaks in tongues. This is what was happening, all right? So Paul had to rein in. And so that's the reason I think that uh, the author Luke didn't see the point of putting it down. I think he thought people knew it. That's just conjecture, though. There's no proof of that. That's just my conjecture, okay? So in Acts chapter 9, uh, we see that Paul's baptism in the Holy Spirit. And again, there's no evidence uh, mentioned. But the thing we do know is that Paul spoke in tongues privately all the time. He said, I speak in tongues more than all of you, okay? But Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19 are what kind of seal the deal for me. So Acts chapter 10, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. They praise God and they speak with tongues, okay? So again, we see tongues, all right? In Acts chapter 19, I believe it's the same thing. They, yeah, oh no, this time they speak in tongues and they prophesy. So every time that an evidence is mentioned, tongues is one of them, and then there's something else happening at the same time. So that's why I think that tongues is the evidence. And, and so you may wonder, what's the point of tongues? Like, so why should we pray in it? I'm going to give you two verses and then we're done, okay? So uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Okay, so there's this idea that the Spirit can pray for things for us that, that we don't know what to pray for. So when you're, there's so many times, for me at least, when I go into prayer and I'm like, I have no idea what to pray for. There's a billion things I could pray for, but I can't seem to narrow it down to a couple of things. And that's when I just start praying in tongues. Because I'm like, God, you know what to pray for. And I let the Holy Spirit pray through me, okay? And then in 1 Corinthians 14, which again we'll look at next week, Paul says this. It says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks, or speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, understands him. For he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up, or builds up the church. Okay, so prophecy is something that should happen in this place more than it does. Okay, it builds up the church. 
But tongues probably shouldn't be spoken from a microphone here. Like, if you want to pray in tongues under your breath during worship, go for it. But it shouldn't be something that's spoken out loud because all it does is builds up yourself unless it's interpreted. Okay, so tongues builds you up. Okay, so it helps you to pray for things that, that you don't know what to pray for, and it builds you up. So that's what tongues is for. It's a, it's a powerful gift. I think sometimes we view it as, oh, this weird, necessary thing we have to receive when we get baptized. But I view it as something that's incredible. It's a gift. It's like, it's like an athlete signs a contract. He gets his salary. He's pumped about it. And then he gets a signing bonus. So for us, the baptism of the Spirit is what's it about. Or the baptism of the Spirit is what it's all about, right? To receive power. But then the tongues is just kind of a gift on the side, I feel like. And it helps us to draw closer to Jesus. It helps us to share our faith. It helps us to get caught up in God, all right? So there's my five things. The main idea tonight is this, if you remember it, is Jesus wants to baptize every believer in the Holy Spirit so that, so that we can be all that he has called us to be. So we can be all that he's called us to be. So I prayed about it, and I really think there's four groups of you here tonight. Four groups. There, the first group is this. You come in tonight, you're a Christian, and you never heard of this. You maybe heard of tongues like once or twice. It may have been a negative thing that someone said about it, but you haven't really heard about this. And I want to encourage you tonight with that same verse we read last week from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I believe it's verse 22, when Paul says, do not quench the Spirit. I want to encourage you to have a posture before God that says, I don't want to explain away every supernatural thing, but instead I want to receive anything you have for me as long as it lines up with Scripture. I encourage you tonight to, to be open to this. They say, God, I may not have heard about it in the past, but I've heard about it now, and I have a responsibility to seek this. So I encourage you tonight, if that's you, if you're a Christian who's never heard about it, I encourage you to begin seeking this. And and allow God to show up and to show you wonders and mysteries and and beauty that you've never seen before. Because that's what happened for me when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was opposed to it before, but then I received it, and God opened up a whole new realm of life for me. It's like I saw things differently. It's like before my vision was cloudy, and then all of a sudden I could see things clearly. So I encourage you tonight to, to be open to this. Secondly, there's, there's people who you've been seeking this, or this experience for some time, and you haven't received it yet. I want to encourage you tonight to keep pressing in and to keep seeking. The disciples had to pray for 10 days and 10 nights before they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you, continue to seek it, and I promise you it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. So press in. Keep asking God to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And don't wait till winter conference to seek it again. Tonight, on the car ride home, or when you get to your dorm, if your roommate's not there, it might be awkward if he's there or she's there, but pray and say, God, give me the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Give me other tongues. And God will be faithful. God will be faithful. You don't have to be at a service. You don't have to be at, at a conference to receive it. All right, the third group. There's people who you've received it in the past, but you've left it at the altar. You received this experience, and that's so many of us tonight. Like, the Lord really revealed that to me. So many of us have experienced it once in the past. We put a badge on, said, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then we did not walk in the fullness of the Spirit after that. Ephesians chapter 5 says, in the Greek, this is what it says. It says, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Keep on being, being filled with the Spirit. So it's this idea that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event. But you have to keep on being filled with the Spirit. You have to keep praying in your prayer language. You have to keep seeking more of God. You have to keep letting His fullness indwell you. In Acts chapter 4, two chapters after the disciples are first baptized in the Holy Spirit, they get filled again. 
they get filled again. It says this in verse 31. It says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So these people had just been baptized two chapters before, and they already needed a fresh filling, a fresh filling from God. So if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit once before, I encourage you to get on your knees and say, God, I need the filling of the Holy Spirit. God, I need you. I need you to move in greater ways than you have in the past and begin to pray in your prayer language again if you haven't been doing that, all right? In the last group tonight, you come in here and you're like, I picked a weird night to come to a Christian group. Like, what the heck is tongues? What the heck is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I don't even know what I think about Jesus. <laughs> and it's unfortunate <laughs> uh, that you decided to come tonight on this night. It's a little bit of a different topic, but I'd be remiss if I didn't share with you the greatest the greatest message in the world. See what Peter did when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit and the crowd looked at him and said, oh, that's so weird. Like maybe you're thinking that right now. Peter got up on a rock and he preached the gospel. He said, okay, this is weird, but this is what it's all about. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he shared the gospel. And he said this in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38. He said, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Actually, no, I skipped it. Acts chapter 22 and 24. He says this. It says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This is the important part. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and you killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up and he loosed the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So the reason we believe in the supernatural, the reason we believe that God can fill us with his Holy Spirit and give us other languages is because there's a man who came in the flesh, who was God, who, who is God. He came in the flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. And then he rose from the dead, showing us that anything is possible. This Jesus loosed the pangs of death. He said, death does not have to have, does not have, to have the final say. And all you must do to come to Jesus and to put your faith in him it's simply that, just to put your trust in him. It says this, and this is the verse I tried to read. In verse 37, it says, it says, they were cut to the heart. So they heard the gospel, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, or the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Okay, so you hear the gospel, you hear about how Jesus died for you and rose from the grave. What shall we do? And Peter says to them, repent, which means to turn the other way, so turn from your former life. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, which is water baptism, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter says, you've heard the gospel, you've heard this message of Jesus, and you have to make a decision right here and right now. You don't need to wait any longer. Make a decision. He says, repent. He says, there's a puddle over there. We're going to baptize you in that, and then you're going to get the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some of you tonight, you need to put your faith in Christ. Not only that, some of you have put your faith in Christ, but you need to be baptized in water. Peter put it right in there with it. He said, be baptized in water. Some of you tonight need to take that step. And you need to follow Christ. So tonight, if you're here in, in, in the baptism of the Spirit, maybe that's something down the road for you, but tonight you want to put your faith in Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that in just a few moments. So if you would stand with me, we're going to pray and, and be done. <clears throat> I believe that if we can be a community, I said this at the beginning of the sermon, if we can be a community who is sold out for Jesus, a community that seeks the power of God and doesn't try to do things on our own strength, if we can seek the fullness of God in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we can pray in the prayer language that he gives us, I believe if we do that, we're going to shake this campus. But before that, God's going to shake your life. 
So tonight, I encourage you to begin seeking that. But as I said, if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes, if you're here tonight and you want to put your faith in Christ, you want to, just as Peter said, repent, put your faith in Jesus so you can be forgiven of your sins. I'm going to count to three. And when I do, what I want you to do is slip up your hand to God, signaling to him that, that you want to come into his family and you want to be his son or daughter. Okay, so one, two, three. Slip up your hands all across this room. See that hand, see that hand, see that hand. Tons of hands going up. So I want to pray for you just as Peter said, repent and be baptized. I want to pray a prayer of repentance. So you can put your hands out. I'm going to pray and pray in your heart. Jesus, we hear the words of the apostle Peter echo throughout history. He says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus so you can be forgiven. God, tonight we repent of our sins. We take the first step. We put our faith in you. We trust you. And we ask you to forgive us for where we messed up and to give us a fresh start. God, I also pray for those that put their faith in you, if they have not been baptized in water, to do that. So God, we pray that they would do that as well. In Jesus' name. All right, the second group tonight, if you're here, and maybe you just pray a prayer of salvation, it's okay to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit right afterwards, all right? So you're here tonight, and, and you want to signal to God that you're open to this experience. You want to say, all right, Jesus, baptize me in your Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to happen right here, right now, but it's something you want to begin seeking. So if that's you, can you lift up your hands to heaven just as a sign of surrender? All right, Jesus. Tons of hands are up in the air. So, so I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to just take like two minutes to seek the Holy Spirit, to seek Jesus, and see if he might even fill us tonight. But then after that, we need to go on a journey of seeking the fullness of the Spirit. So I'm going to pray. Jesus, we pray tonight that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, we pray tonight that you would immerse us in everything you have. Immerse us in your Holy Spirit. So Jesus, I pray even now that people would begin to speak in other tongues as you give them utterance. God, I pray that they would give themselves fully to you. And God, I pray that this community would be a group that keeps on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.